What's up, everyone? Welcome to the New Evangelicals Podcast. All right, we have another great show for you today. On this episode, I interviewed Phil Drysdale. Now, if you are on Instagram and you are deconstructing, chances are you've come across Phil's content and Instagram account. He does a bunch of stuff. Um, A lot of it is definitely on Instagram, but he also does other things offline, um, such as he runs the uh, Deconstructing Network. And honestly, he is really um, someone who can speak with great clarity on what deconstructing is, what it isn't, and his own personal journey, and what seems to be really his life's mission to help people through this process. So if you are currently in some way deconstructing, this is the episode that you want to listen to because we really go deep, 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 deep down the deconstructing rabbit hole. So I am really looking forward to sharing this interview with you, to hearing your feedback. I also want to say really quick, I appreciate all the support. I appreciate all the downloads, all of the new subscriptions uh, to the podcast. It truly means so, so much to me. Please don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode and this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes, and if you can leave us a a written review, that's even better. It really helps us get the word out. This account and this podcast is all very new. We're only a few months into the Instagram account and just a few episodes into the podcast, so I can use all of the support and shares that you can muster. Okay, without further ado, here is my interview with Phil Drysdale. Hope you all enjoy it. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. So today, I really want to unpack deconstructing, and I'm a I'm pretty much a novice when it comes to that. So I pulled in the big guns. I pulled in Phil uh, Drysdale, who is in the UK right now. So Phil, thanks for making the time with the time difference for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start here. Why don't you give me kind of your background, your journey, you know, your spiritual background, did, were you a Christian? Are you still a Christian? Where did you get, how'd you get from point A to point B? Fire away. Sure. I mean, I do not know if you've got an A to B story. I've got like, you know, I need four or five alphabets to work through my story. But uh, <laughs> I, I was born a pastor's home, um, you know, typical kind of PK upbringing. My, my parents were kind of um, a weird hodgepodge of different Christian backgrounds. But generally speaking, we're kind of like fairly evangelical, fairly charismatic. Um, okay. You know, probably at the time of growing up, they were probably charismatics with seatbelts, right? You know, nothing too wild. Yes. But but concerning the circles that they were in, maybe they were the wild ones or whatever. And so, but um, growing up wasn't very relevant to me. You know, my dad was a pastor. He kept getting moved around to different churches because he wasn't Mm -hmm. really a pastor. He was, he was like an evangelist. So he would like, Okay. start a church you know they, they the baptist union would put them in baptists mean very different things around the world as soon as you step out of america um okay so they can be Good very very diverse in fact baptists in america are very diverse as well it's just very few people know yes. other types of baptists other than the the more predominant ones um yes but Good so point. my dad was this this baptist pastor but he got moved around a lot so he would start a church or, or be the pastor of this church and he would like move to town and he would suddenly get everyone in town saved. He would like go out in the streets and like pray for people and talk to people and they'd all come to church and then all the people in church hated my dad for it, right? Because they, they were like, oh, you, what? Not that person. They had an affair oh. eight years ago or, you know, like it was like this kind of like dynamic where you were like, and so growing up, I was I was exposed to these churches that were just like the church, you know, like that everyone's like, mm. oh, that, that judgmental kind of church. And 
A lot yes. of churches aren't that church, you know, a lot of churches aren't. But I grew up in a right. lot of those churches and, and we kept getting sure. moved on and stuff because what would happen is my dad would come in and they'd be like, finally, a fresh, young face, an amazing pastor. And then he'd get people <laughs> saved and they're like, we, did, we don't really like this. You know, right. we, Stop can, doing your job so you well, on? we hate it. Exactly. It's such a, a hypocrisy. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Um, and so, yeah, so I grew up in a church just wasn't very relevant. It was these kind of old, fuddy-duddy people that were probably like 40 or something. But when you're a kid, right, I mean, people were old. Sure. Um, yes. And it was only when I kind of got to about 16, 17, um, my, my dad stopped being a pastor. He became a chaplain. And so he suddenly could choose what church he went to. And we moved to mm. a new city and stuff. And he chose this church that had a huge youth group of like 100 people, which is massive in the UK. A church of 100 people mm. is massive in the UK. Yes. Um, yes. And so suddenly I was like, whoa, there are people my age and they're into this thing. And it's really exciting oh. for them. And I can see how this worked for my parents my whole life, but it didn't really click for me. But suddenly it was clicking for other people my age and they were cool and they were interesting mm. and there was cute girls there and I'm in, oh, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> yes. And so I started to get really into Christianity. Like I really, really got into Christianity. It was all about it. I lived, breathed, you know, sleep mm. Christianity. Um, I would read yeah. my Bible every day. I'd be pray. I was really intense. Um, mm. And so I did that for years um, preceding that. And I jumped around a few different churches from there because – that wasn't serious enough. I need to get more serious. I need to find church and take the Bible more serious. And I was like, well, I yes. see what about a, a church? Yeah, I like that these guys take the Bible seriously, but they're, they're not living a very New Testament experience. I want people that are uh-huh. seeing healing. So I went to like most extreme charismatic yeah. church. Event, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's good as well. But what about people that are, uh, you know, going out and feeding the homeless and doing all the, you know, and so I'd always look for the most extreme thing to add on to my kind of Christian. I just wanted it all. Um, yes. And I always saw some form of Christianity kind of compromising. So it's a very extreme Christian. I, um, I honestly relate a lot to that. You know, you're kind of looking for like the most authentic expression of what you think is Christianity. Yeah. And you look for it anywhere you can. Yeah. And I think we all do that to some degree or another. And, and obviously we just decide what that is on on whatever parameters we have that we decide this is it, right? I'm sure that the Southern Baptists are just as convinced that they found the expression of Christianity (laughs) as Bethel, as John Piper or, you know, like whoever, or as Brian McLaren, you know, I don't know. know I mean, they all are like, well, this is it. This is how I see the Bible. This is how I see God. So we're all doing that at some level. Um, But I've always been the person that's like, I want to explore it all, see it all, read it all. Mm. Um, And it was around the age of like 23 or so, I kind of got really fundamental and and quite radical. I was pretty fundamental Mm. already and (laughs) radical. But I I decided, you know what? I really want to see some stuff like that's pretty amazing. I've I've heard miraculous stories, but I never really see much. I saw some like pretty miraculous things of provision and things like that growing up. Um, But I really want to see some cool stuff. And so I actually... Um, I gave away all my shares in my business. I ran my own business at this point. I gave away everything I owned. I moved back with my folks for a couple of months. And then I moved to America for four years to go to um, a supernatural school of ministry. Um, and it was full on. Um, and I loved was it. Was it a well-known one, potentially? It's, a, it's probably the well-known one. Um, okay. So I, I was very involved with that. Um, I, I volunteered on staff for a couple of years. I was very, very, very involved. Um, wow. And I, I really threw myself at it. And I started traveling around the world and speaking in hundreds and hundreds of churches um, all over the world internationally. Um, very, I, I do this seriously, right? I don't mess around. Um, yeah, and one right, of the things that right. set me apart in that, that context, actually, is a lot of people that do these kind of supernatural schools, they don't have the background of like having spent like eight, nine years being intensely 
soaked in the Bible and really studying the history, the context, the Bible, really wanting to do all that. So, so people yeah, loved yeah. me because I could like, <laughs> do all the supernatural stuff, but I also like was, you know, actually able to go, Hey, yes. look at this Bible. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, not just pick a random verse and that was it, you know, totally, um, totally. you knew your stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people in that environment know their stuff as well. You know, I'm not saying no one does, but it's, it's, it's rare that combo right. comes together a lot in that environment. Um, totally. And so, yeah, I mean, I was always kind of like, how do I get more serious? And then I got really serious into some other like as- aspects of it. And I started to look at different teachers that were teaching about grace and different lenses in which you could interpret the scriptures. And maybe like God wasn't so legalistic. He wasn't so judgmental. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was a bit more mm-hmm. loving. And, kind of, and so just constantly learning new things. I remember my first week at, um, at Bethel. This is Bethel. We all know it's Bethel. Um, uh, first week at Bethel, they go, here's your reading list. And it gave me the list. And the first book was like Bill Johnson. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And then every other book was someone that was at Bethel. And I'm like, really? I'm like, so I'm learning at Bethel. I'm reading the books at Bethel. Like, I'm like, do we do anything else? And they're like, oh yeah, right. that's it really. Um, and so week one, I went out and I bought Brian McLaren's A New Kind of Christian and mm-hmm. A New Kind of Christianity, sorry. And I bought John Piper's God is the Gospel. You know, and that was my first week of reading Bill Johnson, John Piper, Brian McLaren. But that's the kind of guy I was. So I I just say all of that to say I've always wanted to know everything about Christianity and really be serious and not leave any gaps in my, you know, I don't want, I didn't want to get to heaven and and God was like, dude, I clearly put that book on the bookshelf. If you'd read that, you would have got it, but you didn't. I was going to get it, you know? Um, Yeah, totally. And so fast track a few years and I'm traveling around the world. I, I was doing up to about 400 church meetings a year. I was insane. Wow. I was just nonstop, like easily. I was in planes about 180 days of the year. I mean, I was just nonstop Holy flying smokes. everywhere. Um, it was, it was crazy. And I loved doing what I do. Cause I, I met all these people and I was getting to speak and encourage people. And I was meeting people afterwards and talking to them. But what I was discovering as I was traveling more and more, and my journey is continuing to grow and develop and I'm learning new things and I'm unlearning other things. And, and so my, my mm. process of faith is constantly evolving and changing. But what I'm mm. discovering is as you get, when you get to be a traveling speaker, it's a really weird dynamic that happens where people come and tell you stuff they won't tell anyone else. Because there's kind of this anonymous kind of component where if they tell their totally. pastor, they're stuck with what their pastor thinks of them for the rest yes. of their lives, right? That's their church, yes. right? You can't walk up to your pastor and tell him some deep, dark secret without you know having to face him next Sunday. You can't even tell your partner yes. or whatever. And what I was finding was people had a lot of deep, dark secrets about their faith. They would come mm. to me at the end of the service and they'd be like, hey, I love what you shared there. And maybe some of what I shared there did kind of invite that as well because I was pushing people forward and, 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 or as I perceived it forward. Um, right. And so they come to me at the end and they go, Phil, I've been asking recently, like myself, I'm just not sure that God would send everyone to hell that didn't mm-hmm. say a prayer. I'm not sure that hell could be eternal. Like even I'm, I'm sitting and processing. I'm like, Hitler at some point has paid his due you know, of course, like at what, how many billions and billions of years yes. at some point, God just becomes this vindictive kind of ass, right? He's not right. really somehow leveling the justice meter. He's just being awful. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And so at what point does justice turn into torture? Essentially is what we're exactly. asking. And so people ask these questions, but they're, they know they figured out, don't ask your pastor this. Don't ask your elder this. Don't ask your partner this even. Don't talk about your friends because this could create some real right. dynamics in your church. If you're questioning some core yes. things, but I was going there and I was seeing in every church dozens of people come up to me and ask me about these things. And then I'd go home and I'd open up my social media, my Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and I had hundreds of messages from people going, hey, I saw you last weekend and what do you think about this? I don't know if I believe this. I don't know about this. 
And mm. what I found was there's an epidemic going on inside the church. Not even people have left the church, but people within the church are going, totally. I don't know if I believe a lot of this and I don't feel comfortable talking about it. And so I figured yes. as that went on, I was like, you know what? There is, you can't move 10 feet in the church without finding someone that goes around and talks about Christianity and helps Christians believe what they believe and gives them a pat on the back for believing what they believe and maybe puts it right. in a new, fresh way. But like, it's basically the same yes. thing. And we all pat ourselves and like, oh, I believe that. Yeah, good on me. Like, that's basically right. the model. Um, and I was like, right. that everyone and anyone can do that. If you are struggling with unconventional Christianity and want to stay a conventional Christian, there's a million mentors out there. There's a million pastors. There's a million, you know, elders yes. and deacons and whoever else might serve you. But if you've got questions and if you've got doubts and if you're struggling and if you, and what I found as well is this wasn't just an internal church thing. For every person in the church struggling, there was dozens that had come out of the church and was still trying yes. to navigate their faith. And so that brought me to where I am today. For the last kind of eight, 10 years, I've been helping people in that process of realizing that conventional Christianity isn't adding up and doesn't have the answers for them. And so they have to move on. They have to evolve. They have to change their beliefs on some level around those core components that aren't adding up and, and find a new way of living, a new way of life, a new way to explore spirituality. And that's what I do day in, day out is just give people space to explore, give people space to process, give people a safe person to talk to, try and create some community that people can join and be a part of and um, hopefully find less isolation, less loneliness, because it's a very lonely and isolating process if you're going through this, very, very much so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's basically kind of A to whatever letter I'm on. <laughs> Somewhere in the Greek at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, um, what are the efforts? <laughs> Let me ask you this. I mean, how did, but my, my question about your story, which is great, is how did you get there, right? Because if you grew up a, a PK, you're zealous. Um, and I, I find a lot of what you said in my, in my own life as well, of like just wanting God, right? Like I'm committed to him. But how, what for you was the thread that started making you think like, yeah, like I gotta, I have to expand my perspectives here because like, like you said about hell, how could a God burn people forever for not praying the right prayer? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. So what was the thread for you that started unpulling, uh, that started pulling apart some of those things? Sure. I mean, there's probably dozens, if I'm honest, and finding the initial one is really hard for me because I've mm. always done this to some degree, right? So I always did yeah. it, whether it was like, oh, you know, it's, you're only a good Christian if you read the Bible and know it inside out and then going, yeah, but actually some of this Bible says you should heal people and these people aren't healing people. So maybe you're only a good Christian if you read the Bible inside out and you know it inside out and then you heal people. So now I need to go and find people that heal people and change how I believe things, change how I read things. And, and then I go, well, yeah, also that, but also I don't know if, you know, God's going to come back and murder everyone that didn't say a prayer. And so maybe I need to start exploring that. And so I've always had this kind of process of kind of like, pushing myself to to try and explore mm. um a reality in which god is maybe bigger than i thought i think at the end of the yes. day no one is ever going to get to um heaven and meet some theistic being that goes dude you totally exaggerated who i was and thought i was much <laughs> bigger than i am right if, if god is god yes. then you know we right. need to be keep expanding and growing our understanding of this being it's not that we we'll yeah. somehow capture it in our tiny little brains um although many people think they capture it in a book like a pokeball or something um but that's quite a good analogy well, isn't, like that. isn't that kind of the problem with like with i think what, what we're talking about at least what i think you said conventional christianity so i guess for sake of our conversation i would say like what we're what we've kind of grown up in has kind of done that right they've captured mm -hmm. god in a pokeball and said oh 
got that you know badge unlocked, and um, anyone else who claims to have captured God is lying because I have it. And I can understand how how based on what you're saying, what 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 I've experienced, how people can say. Yeah, but but the God that you're saying you've captured doesn't have even sufficient wrestling points for some of the things that I'm still trying to work through, right? Um, right. So so that's what you do now. It sounds like is that what you, is that what you kind of define as deconstructing? I mean, that seems to be the big thing on your account on your Instagram is that I always see like you're really passionate about the term deconstructing and kind of unpacking that for people. So is is that are we talking about like the same thing here, or are those separate things that we're talking about? Sure, it can be. Um, but mm-hmm. it often isn't. So deconstruction is a complex one. And this is why I talk about it a lot is because a lot of people like to define what deconstruction is, especially people that have <laughs> never done it or have no idea what it is and have never really spent more than five minutes talking and listening to someone deconstructing. I know a lot of people right. will define deconstruction for you that have talked to someone that is doing it, mm. but usually it's so they can change their minds. They're not actually listening to them about their journey and what's going on. Um, right. And so right. one of the things that we do um, uh, as part of the deconstruction network, which is a, a network that I run is we do um, research. We work with a research company here in the UK, a faith-based research company that is looking at um, people that are deconstructing and we are trying to define, well, who are these people? What What is it that makes someone deconstruct? What is it that, why do they deconstruct? Who are these people that deconstruct? What What kind of person is most likely to deconstruct? You know, these kind of big questions because you ask, go ask any big celeb pastor and they'll tell you who deconstructing people are. They're backslidden. Oh, yeah. They don't take the Bible seriously. Yeah. They never knew the Bible properly anyway. If they just knew the Bible better, they not do it. I've seen their videos. Crazy, <laughs> crazy things. And they're rooted in so much misinformation, you know, and, and bless mm. them. They, they probably don't have the, they don't have, um, they don't have, try to think of a nice way to put this. Um, like the maybe, bandwidth maybe or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Like the problem is when you live in a certain worldview, you cannot see beyond it. Um, yeah. And so it's it's like yep. trying to explain someone um, German culture when they grew up in, uh, you know, Papua New Guinea. You know, right. and, and they just have never experienced Europe, never mind Germans and what it's like right. to be in German. They're just like, what are you talking about? You have to right. kind of like, but the problem is that hopefully someone from Papua New Guinea wouldn't decide to become the world's expert on Germans and explain them to people, right? Exactly. At least without exactly. going there, living there, you know, all these kind of things. And that's what a lot of these pastors are doing yeah. is they're going, oh, this is what mm. a deconstructing person's doing. But it's from their perspective. It's from, from mm. their understanding. And, and most... Um, most evangelicals, most people that are fundamental in their faith, and I don't use that disparagingly, I just mean people that see faith to be very black and white, which I yes. think most good Christians, quote unquote good Christians, need the world to be a bit more black and white. They need an in and an out, and you pray the prayer you're in, you don't pray the prayer you're out, or whatever right. it is, right? You get baptized, you do this right, good thing, right. or whatever people draw that, however they draw that line, different Christians do that differently. But fundamentals right. need an in and an out. And generally speaking, when someone deconstructs, they create too much haziness. And so they immediately have yeah. to go in the out category. There's no room for haziness in a fundamental faith. But right. generally, when, when we started to research deconstruction, I talk, work with my researchers and they're like, okay, so define to me who, who are deconstructing Christians? Who are we researching here? What's the definition? And I was like, oh crap, I don't really know. I've been working with these people for eight years and I don't know how to define it. Um, so I gave <laughs> right, them this big, right. long, can I talk to them for about half an hour telling them what they go through, what they're like, who they are, because I've talked right. to tens of thousands of people and helped them in this journey over the last 10 years. I mean, tons and tons of people. So I know the person, the avatar, but I wasn't yeah. sure. And it's only in doing research that we actually started to flesh out what the key components are. And so there's three markers of deconstruction from an academic kind of theory-based uh, uh, okay. line. If you don't tick these boxes, you can still define yourself as deconstructing. You can still belong in a deconstructing community. That's 
you know, it's not my place to say you do or don't. Just in an academic context, you probably wouldn't get put in that group. Um, but this covered about 97% of our audience. So it was pretty solid. This is people that are deconstructing. Um, and quite a few of those were very outlying on their, their um, categories. When we looked at them, they were very mm. fundamental. They were very black and white. They were still quite Christian in, in a conventional way. And so some of them you go, oh, maybe I don't know. Maybe they fell in here. <laughs> Who knows? Well, I'm excited to hear these because I'm going to check off in my head if I, yeah. if I the academic mold. So I'm ready. This is it. And, and people should do this as, as I go through them because I'd imagine that you will probably at least uh, tick the first two. The first one is that you question the core values of your faith tradition and find them in some way, shape or form wanting. Okay. So when we Check. say, when we say core values as well, what we mean is like core values, right? We don't mean, you know, mm. like in some churches, some churches go, Oh, well, I think Jesus is coming back uh, seven years after the rapture. Oh, I think so. I think the rapture is going to be halfway through a seven year period. Oh, I think, no, Jesus is coming back before the rapture, after the rapture. Mm. Yeah. Most churches will be like, ah, you can all disagree and you're all fine. Come on in. You know, they're, they're right. not going to kick you out over that. They're not going to be a huge split. Maybe uh, quite a few churches have a split over the rapture, to be fair. But, you know, on the right. whole, this is a peripheral yeah, yeah. issue. So that's not yeah, a core right, value. Right. So questioning when the rapture is, what day Jesus is going to come back, you know, like, you know, what weight he'll be when he comes back, you know, what color hair he'll be, have. <laughs> like, these are peripheral yeah. issues. It's when you start questioning things and your presence in church will quickly be on the line if you say this out loud. So that's when you kind of are going, oh, I'm maybe questioning some core values. It's things like, okay. was Jesus really Perfect. God? You know, like, mm. did Jesus really die and then rise again? Really? He mm. rose again? Or do, do does God really need to kill someone to forgive me? That could be a real mm. core value for a lot of churches. A lot of Protestant churches are very heavy into the penal substitution model. So you start totally. questioning that. That could be it's a core. real problem. So these are what yep. we mean when we mean core values. It's not some of the things are, are a lot less that and you can usually tell by just imagining telling yourself telling this question to your pastor and just imagining <laughs> right. how that play out you know whether it's a core value or not and yes farewell tim uh, okay thanks. exactly yeah yeah you get the rob bell tweet farewell tim yes. <laughs> um, the second point is that once you find those questions um those answers unsatisfactory that your your faith okay. tradition offers to this question you then have to come to your own conclusion about some new core values you have to replace your core values on some level you, you can't believe nothing people don't believe nothing there's no one that believes nothing this is quite a misnomer mm. right but it's quite it's kind of a philosophical concept but to get rid of one belief what do you believe you believe a new thing you you believe the lack of right. that belief or you know the the idea of maybe a christian becoming an atheist you go oh well they don't believe anything then and it's like well no they believe there is no god <laughs> So right, that's a right. belief. To not believe in God is just as strong a belief right. as to believe in God. It's a different right. belief. But so, so it, it, as part of deconstruction, a lot of people talk about reconstructing and all deconstructing, just losing all your beliefs. And but you need to build something. Actually, what they don't realize is, well, in the part and process of taking away beliefs and questioning your beliefs and finding they don't add up, part of that process is that you come to new beliefs. Even if your belief is, I'm not really sure what I believe right now. That's a belief. <laughs> and mm. so you're going to constantly be replacing these beliefs. And so the second part is that you're replacing these core values with new core values, new concepts mm. of what it is to live in this world, to have meaning, to frame yourself, to, to be, who am I? What is the purpose of this universe? Who is God? These kind of questions. Right, um, right. They don't have to be Christian. They don't have to be agnostic. They don't have to be atheist. You could deconstruct from Christianity to Buddhism. You could deconstruct from uh you know, Hinduism to Islam. Like it doesn't matter where you come from or where you go. The importance is that you're moving away from your faith tradition, whatever that is into something with different core values. Hmm. Um, the third part, and this is where it, which is a bit more of a stickler. 
Um, okay, right now I'm I'm two for two, so let's see. Most most people aren't really. I, I think a lot of people in the church have actually, um, if they're honest, they just go, oh, yeah, I don't talk about a couple of those things." But yeah, I'm not sure God sends everyone to hell, or yeah, I'm not so sure about that Virgin Mary thing, or whatever. Right. Right? Some people have some <laughs> right. questions and they just don't say. Um, right. So I think a lot of people are that. The third part is what's most interesting. The third part is that you hold your new beliefs, those beliefs you picked up in part two, you hold them with less fundamental certainty than you held your old beliefs. And so Mm. it's a very clear movement away from fundamentalism. It's a movement away from being black and white about what you believe. So you might believe this new belief. You might be, yeah, no, I I don't really believe in a God anymore. Or I believe God, but I don't think he would kill someone to forgive. I just think he can forgive. I mean, he's God. He can do anything. Surely he can forgive people without bloodletting. (laughs) Right. So, but there's a component of you that goes, but I also have like some level of like kind of awareness, self-awareness, humility that goes, I don't know. I thought I knew last right. time and I clearly was wrong. And so, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm researching. I'm reading some smart people. I'm asking some smart people. And this is kind of the best thing that I can think of right now and come to the conclusion of. I'm praying. I'm, I'm doing all whatever I can do to come to a conclusion. But I'm also aware I'm a fallible human. I screw up. I'm going to change my beliefs anyway at some point. So I'm going to hold this a little looser than I held my last beliefs. I'm not going to mm. run around beating people over the head, making sure they agree with me, um, because I know yeah. that probably in 10 years, I'm probably not going to believe this anyway. Um, right. So there's a, a much looser approach to one's spiritual beliefs. It's, 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 it's definitely living with conviction mm. a lot of the time, but it's living with a like open-handed conviction. It's a, I fully am going to yes. live this life, but I'm going to be open to changing at any point, knowing that I'm often wrong. I could be wrong. Yes. Let me reflect on this for a minute with you because mm. I I have found myself in category three more and more as time has went on because like you said, you do this self-reflecting where as you maybe gain these new beliefs by either you know losing the, the old ones or whatever, you do realize like, well, if I was so certain 10 years ago and these beliefs are no longer here, I should be aware that life is bigger than my current set of beliefs. Mm. Um, and I should be humble about that, right? And it's you know, in, in, a, in a weird way, Phil, it's actually like it's a very humble thing to to approach with that. And it makes me wonder how, like, as a Christian, especially you would you you'll get this. You know, we kind of grew up being told we have to be humble, but be, but but we were we were taught that that right belief is absolute, and which is kind of prideful. And now it's like, well, yeah, I'm just doing what you told me. I'm just being more humble, <laughs> you know, realizing Absolutely. that. That, that my beliefs cannot possibly contain, like you said, the whole of, of whatever we call God, right? The divine. And also cannot contain the whole of human existence. Like, it's impossible. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Um, yeah. And so I should be aware of that. But my only question is, um, regarding this, which I, I, I love it, is, is like, okay, put bluntly, so forgive the bluntness. I still have core beliefs of myself of like, okay, I'm going to value humans as the image of God always. I don't want to lose that core belief, right? Like I don't want to lose that belief that every human being is sacred and made in the image of God and is worthy of dignity. So is there like a limit to deconstructing? Like, is there a part where I'm like, ah, I don't want to touch that belief because that's a really healthy belief for me. What about stuff like that? So I would say philosophically, there is no limit to deconstruction. So okay. no, everything's on the table. If, if you are questioning something, question it, look at it, evaluate mm-hmm. it. I think we all have areas we don't want to go. Our ego is, generally speaking, 
a big scaredy cat and doesn't like anything that challenges itself, which is basically a reflection of the world we frame and, and build and, and the meaning that we create. That's how we feel safe and part of this world. And so there's certain things that when you start challenging it, your whole self falls apart, right? And most people that have gone yes. through some sort of deconstruction know this because they went through yes. it and it was terrifying. Uh-huh. And Anxiety, so, panic, the whole nine. Yeah, totally. absolutely. So you look at that and you look at a beautiful value, right? You look at something simple like, man, I love humanity. I want to always look at humanity as beautiful as, as to be included, to be loved, to be accepted yes. because it's the image of, of, of this invisible God. And I'm like, yes. Beautiful, wonderful. Five years down the line, you go, I'm not sure there's a God. It's not a theistic being. Maybe it's there's some mm. sort of grand of being or whatever. What happens? Mm. At some point, you might just have a thought, just have an idea, have some sort of shift in just a, a, a peripheral point to that even core value that suddenly goes, okay, now I don't love and include and value humanity because it's in the image of God because I don't believe in God, whatever reason that might mm. be. Mm. So do I still love and value? You, you have to start thinking about this, look at this and go, yeah, no, that's still something I really want to do. Hopefully most people would kind of go, yeah, no, I will. Right, I, I right. think most people will pick core values and, and, and new grounds of being new foundations. Most of them um, coming from a Christian background will probably find very Christian core values. They might be more Christian than the core values they lived as Christians. Um, so uh, they'll yes, find absolutely. things like love and inclusivity and, 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 you know, compassion and, you know, all these different amazing core well, values. That's you very much, this. sorry to interrupt you there, no, but no. that's exactly where I find myself is that I find that some of my, these new values, or I should say this emphasis on new values. I've always known that you should love people, sure. but realizing that like, well, I have to really rethink how I have excluded the LGBTQ plus community. And because of, I think these core values of Jesus and inclusivity, I have to realign that to include them. Sure. So I definitely resonate with that because in some way, I almost find myself more Christian than ever, even though in like an Orthodox and even um, an evangelical sense, I'm probably less Christian than ever, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the thing is, that I would what I would point to is I'd point to humanity and, and, and existence itself is growing in a direction, which is quite fascinating. Mm. You can look at the mm. way that the, the universe itself is expanding. It's expanding in a direction which grows in complexity, in depth. Um, and as beings, as humans, we are growing in a particular direction. If we map how humanity has grown, it's growing in a way that includes greater and greater and greater groups. More and more and more people get included as humanity develops and grows. And this happens mm. in small niches. If you find a small group somewhere in the middle of nowhere and see how they develop and grow, they love and grow in inclusivity over time. You can huh. map it over a few hundred years. If you look at wow. history as a whole over the last kind of you know few thousand years, what we have recorded, you can again see, gosh, people become more inclusive, broader in their inclusivity. We've done it really badly. No question mm. at all. I wouldn't want to live at any right. time in history, but that's a good right. e evidence that we're growing in a healthy direction. So right. there's a good evidence that we'll continue to grow in that direction. So things like that, it's like, well, we're growing in love. We're growing inclusively. These are probably really good core values to keep wanting to do. But again, I want to hold that loosely, not so I can become less loving or less inclusive, but because I go, I'm probably really exclusive in my love and inclusivity still. Mm. If, if we put this in the context of a couple more hundred years, a couple more thousand years, Am I going right. to look back and go, gosh, I'm so glad Phil in 2021 nailed it and had it good because we would have been screwed. No, I'm probably going to look back and go, God, what a terrible human Phil was in comparison to who people are today. That's more mm. than likely how we're going to play out. It's, it's a horrible thought, but it's exciting to know that we're maybe on the cutting edge of what's happening in humanity today. Maybe God 
I would love that, but who knows? Maybe that's right. very ambitious, ambitious hope. But I think we're growing right. in that direction. So you might go, okay, well, I love all humans because they're made in the image of God. But then we, a thousand years from now, start to understand what consciousness is and we realize maybe panpsychism is true and that all matter has the um, awareness and consciousness. And we go, gosh, maybe I should be loving everything as the image of God. Mm-hmm. And mm. so it's, it's just, it's, it's being open, not so I can kind of backtrack on loving the LGBTQ community, not so I can backtrack on being so inclusive that I include other people that don't look like me or whatever, but so that I go, yeah, I love more people than I've ever loved, but maybe I'm going to hold that lightly because there's probably some people that are going to come my way that I'm going to have to learn to right. love. And right. so again, we hold things loosely, not in a sense of... Um, uh, presuming that the direction we're moving is wrong even necessarily, but presuming that we probably are still going to keep growing. I think it's being constantly mm. open to continually grow. Um, I think yes. that's the that's the, the holding things loosely and being less fundamental. What you'll see with a lot of yes. people early stage cons- deconstructing, and this is why that third marker is not always a, a you are deconstructing or you're not. It's just evidence that you continue to deconstruct and you have been deconstructing because what yes. you'll see in early deconstruction is you'll see people come out of fundamental movements of religion. And they become very fundamental about how wrong that was and how evil that was and how bad that was. And and then they become fundamental about how they have found the truth. If you only became like me, now I know you just need to be like me. That's a very, very common thing. And so clearly not a third marker, right? You're just as fundamental and just as certain as you were before, just in a different way. From the right to the left. (laughs) Sure. You become, you go from a militant um, evangelical to a militant atheist or, you know, whatever. You could be a militant Buddhist or whatever you change or 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 a militant progressive Christian, right? So you stay within Christianity, but you just become a bit from the right to the left or however we kind of Mm. map these kind of components. But the point is, are you growing in losing your fundamentally a fundamental fundamentalism that's one uh, are you there growing you <laughs> in being less certain or and being more open to uncertainty and, and this is just a natural part of growth if you look at human development generally speaking as humans develop and grow they actually grow in certainty in early years and then as time goes on there's kind of a midlife point which actually is quite early it's usually not so late um but from that point on, generally speaking, we start to grow in uncertainty and realizing that we don't have all the answers. There's certainly some really fundamental old people, but if you go and talk to your grandparents on the whole and you say, oh, isn't it true that all people like this are like this? And they'll be like, course not right you know or or they'll right. smile and go yeah I, I can see why you think that you know or, or you go yeah. you know what grandpa i think that clearly uh, economically the only way to you know really run a country is like this and they'll be like mm, yeah sure i can see why you think that like give it 10 years <laughs> come back to me you know yes. there's, a, there's a wisdom yes. that comes to a life that goes maybe there's more gray in this and maybe we should be a little less fundamental and black and white about how we approach this like I said, well, do you a feel, lot of old people aren't feel, like that. But. <laughs> no, right, right. No, but I completely get what you're saying. I've, I've, I have also found myself in that position thinking like, like okay, if, if, if physically my body grows, right, I'm, I'm not a child anymore, thank God, um, then mentally the same thing should happen where like I'm, sure. I'm, I, my brain is continuing to learn to grow. And of course, the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. You know, I, I, I've been a drummer now for 22 years. I've, I play in the church. I've done really cool stuff. And 22 years later, I'm like, wow, there's more I don't know than I know. Now, am I still confident when I, when I get on a stage and play? Of course. Like, I, I know what I'm doing, but I'm also very much aware that there is a whole other world out there of music that I haven't even touched and that there are right. people out there who are crushing it. And so it, it is interesting because I think I think that, at least from my experience running my account and also being 
just in some of these circles in like my own personal life for a long time now in the church world, it seems like what a lot of us, I guess you can say maybe like what was the catalyst, was realizing that the fundamentalism of you can be absolutely sure uh, sure that you know where you're going to go when you die by praying this prayer. You know, you kind of wake up and you go, can I though? <laughs> like, can I really know that? And then of course, if you question that, they're like, oh, you're doubt and doubt isn't good, which of course we know even from, from, from a biblical point of view is not even biblical, biblical. I use that term loosely, but you, you right. get my point. You know, it's like, I think that that's what has pushed so many of us away from the current evangelical space. It's not so much that, that of course we have major problems, but if there was a, a posture of you know, we have to wrestle through this. We should rethink some of these things. I think this would be less of an issue than it is today, but instead we're seeing the evangelical church circle the wagon, so to speak, and now sure. drawing lines. Like we, we've seen those videos of pastors who, like you said, they mean well, God bless them, but they have no framework for someone doubting whatever they think is gospel, for lack of a better word. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting to me that, um, you know, generally speaking, a fundamental will see their position as the destination. So uh, if you yes. talk to most evangelicals, they have arrived. Now, of course, they grow yes. within that arrival, right? So they keep praying, they keep writing, reading the Bible, they keep, you know, talking to God and, and trying to become a better Christian. But but they've arrived. They, they don't have a, um, a new information on God or a new uh, position, right. new theology. They are here. They're done. And, and the right. problem with that is when you have your position, your, your worldview as a destination and you've already arrived, there's zero opportunity for growth. Yep. Like I said, you can grow within it, but not really beyond it. Um, and so right. the problem is you have to see everyone as before the destination, you know, every other person is, is an opportunity to be saved. There's no other option, right? right. So you are right. either about to be saved or saved. Um, there's right. an in, there's an out, there's a Christian, yep. non-Christian. What's interesting is that's not generally speaking how anything works in life. There's, n- there's yes. nowhere ever where we really go, oh, I'm here, I've done it now. You know, even in your job, right? You can be the best totally. IT support engineer ever or, you know, an accountant or whatever. And you might know a crap ton about accounting. But odds are you will probably, if you're going to be a good accountant, still grow and learn and develop and learn new things right. and, and become better. You might get further qualified. You might go into chartership or whatever. Um, that's just how life works. We grow and we develop. And so what we've done is we've really strangled spirituality by going, we've got a destination here that everyone needs to arrive at and this is it. But what me- what it means is when people do move on from that because they grow, they actually develop, they evolve beyond the conventional model of Christianity because they see God as bigger, better, broader, more inclusive, more loving. Right. Most people go, oh, you left the church because you didn't, you didn't know how to love God. And it's like, no, no, I left the church because my concept of loving God wasn't allowed in this church. It, made, right. it, it forced me to love gay people and you didn't like that. It forced right. me to love that person over there and you don't like them, right? Like my dad, right? right? In his evangelistic ways, but he just kept getting moved on because he would bring right. the, the, I don't know, whatever, you know, some right. terrible person, you know, probably right. Right. did right. nothing, you know, but... Um, right. But so what happens is as soon as you see anyone move on from your destination, it can't be seen as a move forward because you have arrived. It has to be Mm. reconceived as a move back into that because there's only before and arrival. And so when you move forward, it's seen as a backsliding. 
there, there's only one way to frame it. You have to see it as, as going back into the world, which is a, a, the, the wrong place to be. It's, it's pre-destination. Yeah. Um, right. And so this is why you see most people that are talking about deconstruction, they, they see it as a, oh, they've backslidden or, oh, they've just fallen off the wagon for a while, but they'll come back. They will, and you have to yeah. reconstruct. You have to, you have to reframe. And, and what's funny is people that are talking about reconstruction, what they're saying is you need to believe the way I believe. No one is ever going, well, it's important you reconstruct. I don't mind if it's Islam, but I really need you to reconstruct. No one is saying that, right? They, right, they are saying, right. no, when I say reconstruct, I mean, read this book that I've printed. Yep. And if you agree yep. with that, you're fine. Um, 100%. It's not even read the Bible, right? So they, a lot of people we've heard recently are going, oh, it's important. You can deconstruct as long as you use the Bible to find your answers. And I'm like, dude, you must have talked to a few progressives. Loads right. of them use their Bible and you don't like them. So well, using the isn't Bible is what you mean. You know? It's agreeing totally. with my interpretation of the Bible is what I mean. <laughs> and that that honestly, I think for a lot of us is one of the biggest like, hello. I mean, whenever you say God's, the Bible's clear, what you're saying is my interpretation of the Bible is clear. Exactly. You know, a couple of days ago, I posted, uh, someone wrote an article and it was like a satire article pretty much saying, proving the point how even on a plain reading of the Bible, you can prove that men shouldn't be leaders anymore. And he pulls his verses and makes his points. You know, it's, it's a total flip on women not being able to lead clearly. And it's like, that's so true. You can look through the Bible. You can cherry pick your verses. You can cherry pick your doctrine and you can thread the needle. And then you can say, look, God is God's being clear. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, no, no. Your view on this book might be in your mind clear, right. but anyone who takes their faith even a little seriously knows, especially in academic circles, all these issues are debated. And any good scholar, even the conservative ones, even the, the James Whites of the world will tell you that these issues are debated in academia for a good reason. But a lot of yeah. us who don't have access to that just grew up being taught that the Bible is the word of God and the way I explain it to you is the word of God, but also... You know, it, it's sola scriptura, right? But also, it's people interpreting it for you at the same exact time. Right. H- however, that works, right? And so, I, I very much align with what you're saying because that 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 like issue of just so firm, you can be so confident, and then as you get older, you realize that life is so much more gray than than what I've been led to believe about whoever it is. Um, it's very problematic for a lot of us. It's very, and it's also yeah. very traumatic, like you said earlier. Very much so, and and, and it's tough because. Um, what's interesting is if you look at the data, who deconstructs? So this is part of what we do is we develop this sort of yeah, data yeah. And, and we look at other um, sources and, and collaborate with them as well. But if you look at who deconstructs, who de-churches and who deconstructs, there's more data on de-churching because that's been something that's been studied for the last 70 years, which is just the, right. the nature of people that leave church. Deconstruction is more yeah. complex. About a third of people that deconstruct still attend church at least once a week. So That's me. yeah, absolutely. What's interesting is if you follow them on their trajectory over the years, that drops to about 17%. So mm. quite quickly, about half of them stopped attending church at some point along the way. Um, right. But so a lot of people are there in the middle ground going, I kind of want to get out this. I'm not sure how because I'm a pastor or because my wife wants to stay going or, or whatever. Or maybe I, I, I've just got too much invested here, all my friends, all my family. But at some point, yeah. it, the pain point of staying is too much. And so they leave. And, you know, there's all sorts of different dynamics there. And we'll create totally. more data over the years on that probably. But the point right. being, they're not too... The same group. But what we can say of both groups is people at deconstruct and people at de-church, they, on average, compared to the average person in a church that's attending at least once a week, they attend church just as much, if not more, when, when they, before they left, if that makes sense. So deconstructing 
group before okay. they left. They were de- they were attending church at least as often as the average person in church. They were reading their Bible more often. They were praying mm. more often. They were attending additional services more often. They were more likely to volunteer regularly. They were more likely to be on staff. They are more likely to be a pastor. They are more likely to have Bible degrees, seminary um, degrees, um, Bible college, Bible school um, certificates. Every wow. time, like the, the averages weigh, outweigh massively. And so the point is, what's interesting is the, the, the conversation there by those that want to um, try and gatekeep this whole world is, oh, yes. these people didn't know their Bible enough. They weren't serious. They were never saved. All these kind of things. What's funny is they were their best church member. Without a shadow of a doubt. In fact, they were maybe the pastor. <laughs> you know? You wow. have no idea. I talk to dozens of pastors every day. Mm. Dozens. Um, yep. Because so many of them I are going through this process. Well. It's, yep. it's really hard to go through the process um, because yeah. you're in this, your whole world, your financial setup, every every yep. work opportunity in the future for you is basically a yes. church. And you're like, crap, yeah, what do I do now? You paid 80 grand to get a degree in Bible. <laughs> right. And now you're, right. you're 30 years in and you've got a home <laughs> and your kids are in college and you're having to pay the bills. And, and you go, yes. and my only other job opportunity is Starbucks because right, exactly. I've, done, exactly. I've been a seminary student, a youth pastor, an associate pastor, a senior pastor, and that's it. Like who's who's hiring? Right. My world is this. Absolutely. It's really hard. But the point being, the point being that these people didn't leave for fun. They didn't leave Mm -hmm. because they wanted to sin. They didn't leave because they didn't know their Bible. They didn't leave because they weren't saved. These people were the most saved, the most committed, (laughs) the most you know good Christian that you could want. If you if you ask the pastor write down all the things a good Christian would do volunteering, reading their Bible, praying, being actively involved in their church. You know, that's the things that the church pastor would probably write down, right? And these people are more likely to do it than their average church member. And so Mm. these people were the best of Christians. And for some reason they went, "Uh, I need to move on beyond this constrained box. Do you, if you don't mind, let me ask you this. Do you, in your research and in your, you know, you're obviously, you know, well-read and well-studied, how much of people doing this, like you know, like you said, it's the best of the best who are leaving. How much of it is I'm over this church institutional machine versus I'm over Jesus? Because I found that for me personally and also on my account, they are very different things. I, now, of course, listen, I mean, my account's called the New Evangelicals. Obviously, I'm not going to attract a ton of atheists or people who are, I, 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 you know, I'm out of the church kind of thing. But a lot of people that I'm working with do say, like, listen, I am in some way still attracted to this Jesus thing. I'm not sure how it works. I'm not sure how the death thing works, but I'm interested. I'm committed to it in some way, but this church thing has, it's ruined everything. Have you seen a similar experience or for you, is it just, it could be either one? Sure. I mean, it can be either one for sure. Just like when we gave those examples of like on average, the average church personally searching right. is like a more committed, more reading. Some of them never went to church and they didn't like it and they left because they wanted to like, you know, just right. bail. Like absolutely. Right, There's right. some of those people. They're just very rare compared to right, like, right. you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, sure. I think across the board, a whole spectrum will be there as to how people engage with the concept of Jesus and spirituality as they leave. What we do know is um, there was two great studies done in 2000 and 2014, I think it was, maybe 2012, I can't remember, um, by um, Hay and Heald, 
my memory's not great on this. If you if you are listening to this, shoot me a DM and I'll give you the exact details somewhere. Um, but they, they basically <laughs> looked at people that were leaving the church and they asked, like, to what degree do you still hold to some sort of spirituality? They didn't ask, you know, do you follow Jesus or anything like that? But they asked, you know, where are you at spiritually? Have you just given up and thrown everything out? What's interesting is 78% of the people said they held to some form of spirituality. Um, yeah. I think in the next study, it was 79. So, I mean, across the board, we're seeing pretty yeah. solid data that about four-fifths of people that leave church are not leaving church because they're done with spirituality. Now, right. many of them will be done with maybe that model of Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, you know, whatever it might be. That That's possible for sure. And I, I've seen that. Many people going, you know what, I need to explore in some sort of other context. But I've never met anyone that goes, yeah, that Jesus is kind of a dick. I don't like him at all. You know, that's right. not really occurred. Most people, I've yeah. talked to atheists and they're like, yeah, no, I think on the whole, if you did the thing that Jesus said, you'd be all right. You know, I don't believe there was a Jesus, but I try and model like right. what he says, you know. And, and so there's a whole spectrum here, but most people aren't right. going, well, that Jesus guy. No, most people are right. like that pastor or, you know, or that way they taught right. Jesus or, or whatever. And so I think right. on the whole, definitely people are um, intrigued by Jesus, want to continue to follow that path of Jesus. And I think for a lot of people, especially evangelicals that are taught this relational model, you got to have a relationship with Jesus, you know, they really have a relationship with Jesus. Even if it's all constructed in their heads, they're, they're Right. They're kind of trying to come to terms with that and going, I've had this for 20 years. I don't know who to talk to at night when I go to sleep. Totally. I still feel this totally. urge to talk to Jesus. He's always sitting in that chair over there or talk to God. And I don't know how to deal with that. What we do find is over the years, as people find more freedom and, and openness to explore, is people do start to question things like Jesus. They do look at the historical Jesus and go, oh, gosh, this guy's a bit different than what the church say. Or they look at um, theistic models and go, maybe I'm looking at something that's more post-theistic and, and maybe a little bit less deistically kind of... Uh, rooted and and so people start to explore beyond and, and maybe let go of some of those concepts that Christianity would hold near and dear but we do see a lot of people staying within those Christian compo- components what, what, what I'm hoping to do this um, the next study we're doing it's launching in a couple of weeks um, oh, that's great uh, we're, we're launching a secondary study um, and it's going to have a whole bunch of data and some of it is going to basically be where were you at when you deconstructed what kind of movements were you part of what what mm. backgrounds things like that and then where are people at now we're looking at a whole bunch of different data but one of the points is going to be how do you identify now um to the best of your ability you know we're not going to hold right. you to it you know planning but like you know <laughs> give a rough guess of like am i agnostic am i atheist am i spiritual or not religious am i a uh, baptist christian still or you know a, a mainline right. or whatever you know and so i think what's interesting is by maybe like halfway through this year we'll probably actually have some really good data on some of the percentages there which will be really interesting yeah i'm um, looking forward to seeing yeah. what you come up with because that is, these terms are so hard to nail down, right? Even the term evangelical, it's such a huge umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Deconstructing is another big term that I can, I, every account I follow is saying that in some way, shape, or form. Right, right now. even the evangelicals um, now. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, I mean, I definitely have used that term uh, myself. In fact, I kind of, uh, I laugh a little bit because in my like bio, it says, you know, we've deconstructed, now we're reconstructing. Whenever I, I think that now, I think of Phil being like, actually, they're kind of one of the same, you know? But, um, so my, my last question kind of as we get ready to wrap up is I, I want to hone in on, on this evangelical church issue because... You know, I I, uh, I try to ask my guests all this question to get their perspective on it. So, you know, from my vantage point, it is ironic seeing that the evangelical church really had a massive hold on especially American culture, and they really exported that culture really well to other places like the UK, you know, and so on and so yeah. forth. And now they're starting to lose that, 
clearly, I mean, the, the, the data is there. Even the Barna group, I, I have all their books. They show that like, you know, um, Gen Z millennials, like we are, we're, we're out pretty much, right? right? Even though we're not losing our faith necessarily, we're losing the version that, of faith that You're not getting your tithe. <laughs> I'm not going to tithe. Exactly. I'm, I'm over it, right? And so it's, it's, for me, it's sad, honestly, and hurtful to see the evangelical church's response, not one of like self-reflection and growth, but instead like, no, they're just backsliding. They're losing their way. But there's a part of me, Phil, honestly, that like in a perfect world, I still want to believe that people like me and others who I know are who are still in these institutions can try and change it from the inside out. But what do you think? I mean, is there hope for the evangelical church and as far as how you see it? Does it have to get kind of just demolished and something new put in front of it? Obviously, throughout history, any institution, any system is going to have problems, right? I think we have to acknowledge that nothing, as far as I'm aware of, in, in our lifetime is going to be perfect. But what do we do here? Like, is, is it time just to restart? Can we save it? What are your thoughts? It's a tough one, right? Uh, and this is a big conversation. And I could probably talk about yeah. this for a couple of hours. So I'll try and condense it to like... <laughs> Sorry to throw minutes. it at your last minute, um, but... <laughs> I, I love stuff. This is what I love talking about. This is what I'm thinking about. Um, same, I think same. there's a whole bunch of things going on here. First of all, I think people like you and me did change. Okay. And so we have to separate an institution yeah. from the people within it. Because can the, can the evangelical church be saved? Absolutely. Every single one of them. But can the evangelical church, the system, be saved? That's probably a much bigger question. Do systems change very often? Probably not. Do right. new systems get born out of them? All the time. Right. And so actually to the point where a lot of the time we can't even tell a difference. If you go back to the early Protestant Reformation, yep. you go, oh, this is what the Protestant Reformation is. Go find me a church that believes exactly what the Protestant Reformation folks lived. Right. None of them, not even kind You're of the most fundamental it. Lutheran churches don't believe what Luther said. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, we've evolved. Yes. We slowly shifted and changed. And so, right. uh, but, but those people would not be welcome in that institution. And that institution totally. is probably not the same name even. It's probably the second, you know, whatever, or they, the reformed, reformed, reformed church, you know, or <laughs> it's like, it's like, how many <laughs> times can we reform? <laughs> um, exactly. Um, but so I think s- systems are probably a lot harder to change on the whole, but I'm not too worried. I don't really care about a system. To me, mm. I care about the people within it, and I think people within it do change. But this is really important. I love talking about this because I think it's really important. We recognize there okay. is actually something really important that we need from systems of fundamental faith and, and evangelicalism. And I think it's very easy for us as we move beyond it and start to learn that we can be more inclusive, more loving, more expansive, see God as bigger than that. Yeah. We tend to think we've got the right model. And now if the world only believed what we believe, they'd be better off. Just avoid that terrible evangelical model. What's yeah. interesting is the data doesn't really hold up. It's not very good on that. If you go mm. into a prison, for example, and they did this, this is a really interesting study where they went into a prison and they got a bunch of, well, they went to several prisons and they basically watched different church ministries. And so they got a whole bunch of progressive churches that were much more open, much more liberal, much more inclusive. They had like amazing restorative justice plans and things like that. You know, mm. there's great stuff and there's great data on restorative justice. I'm 100% pro-restorative justice. Yes. But they've got Same. all this very modern, progressive ideas and you go, this church, man, if people got into that, that would be healthy. Don't yeah. go to, you know, John MacArthur's church. Go to this <laughs> right. guy's church, whatever. Right. right, right. So they looked across a whole bunch of different um, prisons with a whole bunch of different uh, prison ministries and they looked at progressive prison ministries and evangelical prison ministries who quote unquote won who had the best success what's interesting is that the evangelical church had scores more 
effort, uh, impact. They saw tons more people get saved. They saw tons more people um, getting out early on good behavior. They saw tons more people when they got out staying out and, and wow. getting into jobs and getting into communities. The progressive church saw a lot of those things, but to much smaller degrees. And the reason is certain people in society, certain people in life are in a very tumultuous state of life. They're in a very, uh, very yes. unstable season. They are in a very ego-driven state of being. Their psychological development is very egotistical and, and, and focused on power and control. Um, that's just part of psychological development 101 as we go through these stages. And the stage after that ego power control stage is conventional. It's structural. It's, it's rules orientated. It's law orientated. It has safety and security and authority figures. Who gives all that? Not the progressive church. The evangelical right. church. And so actually, we, we right. have to stop going, that's wrong, I'm right. So this is even yes. a level of let's let go of some certainty, because I'm certain the evangelicals do some bloody terrible damage, right? But I'm Absolutely. also having to go, but I'm uncertain the world would be better without them. Because actually, yes. maybe yes. that person that was a raping, murdering psychopath needs some of that structure and some right. of those rules and some of those authority figures to come alongside and go, hey, I'm going to hold your cowboy and I'm going to help you grow and develop a bit of discipline and loyalty and, and you know compassion and work on empathy as you come out of a very narcissistic stage into a bit more of an empathetic stage. This is very um, natural uh, as we grow and develop. And so what's interesting is, of course, as we then continue to grow and develop, maybe some of those progressive ideologies, I'm not saying you have to become a progressive Christian or progressive Christians are better than an evangelical. None of these stages right. are better or worse. That's my point. My point right. is they're right for who they're right for. Yes. And so just because what's right for you right now yep. doesn't mean that it's gonna, it was always right for you. You probably wouldn't have been able to join a progressive church, um, you know, straight away. You maybe had no. to go through the evangelical church to get here. Um, yes. And so I think, so my point being, can that system right. change? I'm not sure it needs to yet. I think the world isn't ready yet. I think the world has still too much instability, instability, um, chaos, chaos um, broken people that need some structure, need some of that fundamental black and white religion to give them some structure and some security and some safety and certainty that they can then hopefully mm. go and evolve beyond that. Please, absolutely. Um, the world would be a terrible place if it stayed there. But if right. we go back 4,000 years and go, would the world be a better place or worse place with the evangelical Christianity? Probably would in a lot of ways be a better place with a lot of those structures. Now, right. of course, racism, colonization, sexism, all these things that are embedded in a lot of um, that fundamental kind of Christian concept uh -oh. would not add to anything. But they were all kind of, kind of bread and butter of those systems back then as well, right? Don't open your Bible in the Old Testament and expect to see no racism or sexism or colonization because, right. um, you know, Jesus and his buddies hadn't shown up. Right from the offset, everyone was colonizing everyone if they could, right? right. It was, right. That's how they rolled. Um, yes, yes, so, yes. So I think, you know, we, we have to understand that we're growing up in stages. And I think actually maybe some of these systems, these fundamental systems of religion are part of our growth and part of our development. And so I think it's about helping people that are ready to grow out of that grow out of that. And I'm sure you can think of people along your path, whether it's a person that you knew in person or it's books or podcasts or YouTube channels that helped you grow beyond that fundamental bubble. Totally. All of us can be that to someone else for sure. I don't think we should yes. try and change people because I think that very rarely works, but I think we can be I'm there right to change there with people. You. I'm so yeah. on the money with you. I really appreciate that because I have, as I've continued to think about this thought, like, you know, even though I'm out of a lot of circles now that I think 
do a lot of damage. Um, there is still people who those systems work really well for, and they have really healthy lives. They have a great marriage. They live. They're happy. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I. It's not my job to be a wrecking ball for someone else's worldview. Now, if someone is, you know, deconstructing it or they have questions when I talk, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk. I'm all right. about it. But I really had to. Like you said, kind of calm down my militant side of like, guys, don't you know how harmful this is? I've been there from more of like, okay, every, my, my, my wife always tells me people are doing the best that they can with the information that they have. You yeah. know, it's like, yes, like we have to be empathetic to people who are in not better or worse, just different spots yeah. um, and maybe are saying, listen, I, I, I like it here. I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I like being in the church every Sunday. I like hearing a sermon every Sunday. I like volunteering. I'm not being harmed. I enjoy it. Like, okay. Yeah. Like to Absolutely. each his own on that, right? So I appreciate that. And I also think too, it's important to recognize that any system has pros, including Christianity. We can thank a lot of good Christians for a lot of helpful things like university, hospitals, all that stuff. Doesn't mean that, as we both know, <laughs> that that every Christian has done great things in the name of God. We know, that, in fact, quite At the all. opposite. But that doesn't mean that we, we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say the whole thing, every Christian sure. is just part of this you know terrible thing. So I, I really agree with you there, Phil. I think that's a really wise and um, astute point, so to speak. Yeah. Can I just jump in with one caveat to it? Go for I, it. I think Go for it's it. really important, though, that we don't take what I just said there as a carte blanche, let's leave them alone to be what they want to be, because I think there are very important systemic issues that are yes. harming people that need yes. to be addressed. And sometimes yes. you can't address those systemically you need to have the government come in and help people do it so you go hey church clergy abuse is off the scale there's actually more church clergy abuse in the protestant church than the catholic church we just don't talk about it as much or we cover it up we're better i don't know the thing is we're not as centralized so it's harder to pin down how many different denominations are doing this but you're absolutely right so so with something like that maybe you aren't going to be able to sit down with a pastor and a leadership team or a denomination get them to change or change their theology around certain sexualities and sex and stuff that causes all this sort of stuff you maybe are going to need to go okay we need to lobby to have the government enforce child protection policies in churches we need to enforce um you know healthy practices between priests and their their um people that they're counseling or whatever you know so sometimes you have to force the hands of of those systems it's not that we just go ah well you know they do pretty good and like they help these prisoners let's let them you know abuse some of their members or let's allow them to still uh, apply racist policies no have the government step in and go hey if you don't want to pay taxes you have to employ some black people yes. sorry right yes. you know, of if, course if, if, if they need that extra pressure let's let's give it to them for sure so I, i'm not saying let's uh, let's ignore things that are harming people racism sexism abuse yes. you know these are obvious things that i'm not saying oh let's turn a blind eye. i'm saying no let's actively right. work on that but let's right. also recognize that some of these systems they're not going to change at best we can kind of uh, enforce uh, force their hand, right? It's all the things that the, the evangelicals yes. are terrified of, right? They're taking away our no, liberties. Right. Yeah, no, we're not going to let you, like, you know, dismiss a, a whole other race for uh, as less than. No, yes. we're not going to let you, you know, treat women as less yes. than and not give them equal opportunities in employment or whatever. Yeah, sorry, right. we're going to take some of those rights away from you. Right. And maybe force the evangelical church to evolve a little bit as well. I think we've seen this, I'm in the UK, I'm in Europe, and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of Europe has evolved in its um, model of church because of external governmental pressure. Because the, yeah. the laws require, hey, 
If you want to operate as a church, if you want to be a licensed charity or, or organization, you need to enforce these employment laws. You can't yes. dismiss women. Oh, crap. Right. How are we going to be a church? We need to employ pastors, but we also have to actually employ women. Oh, right. that's a problem. Right. And, and it forces their hand. Often many of these churches then sit down and work it out and they somehow miraculously come to the conclusion that, oh no, women could preach, I guess. Oh yeah, um, their biblical interpretation just, oh, the right. Bible's so, clear. <laughs> so you look across Europe and you're going to see more churches that support LGBTQ plus affirmation, marriage, you know, whatever it might be. Um, still a lot that aren't, still so much yeah. work to be done there, but more than somewhere like America where that hasn't been um, more um, heavily forced. As right, and now that it's trying to be forced, there's a huge war, as I'm sure you can imagine from oh, the Billy Grahams of the world. You know, oh, they're trying to take away our freedoms, trying to ruin everything. It's like, well, well, you know, if you just had an open door to these people, it wouldn't even be an issue. But anyway, that's for a different discussion. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're on the money there, Phil. I, I, I think that caveat is so needed because and I, I kind of said that in my little monologue earlier. You know, obviously, if people are being harmed and hurt, that's a different discussion than my 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 friend at my church has been there for 30 years who is just a good person saying, I just really like doing this. It's like, yeah, right. okay, go ahead and enjoy that. But if this church has a pastor who's abusing women or abusing kids, obviously we got to do something and there has to be lines drawn. So I'm very much with you. A lot of this is using our best wisdom and tension and you know, just trying to realize, like you said, there are a lot of well-meaning, good people. And my parents are, are two of them. You know, I grew up mm. because of them and they have shown me a great marriage. They've, they've, they're super hospitable. They're super generous. They're good people, even though they're very fundamental in some of their beliefs. Um, and so yeah. that has always kind of given me the other perspective too. You know that that not every fundamentalist person is some bigoted, racist, you know, um, homophobic idiot. Uh, some people just have very fundamentalist views, but are very hospitable and warm to people around them. And yeah. that to me is a whole different discussion of just such a contradiction in my head, but that's just how some people are, you know? So you take what you can take. <laughs> yeah. Well, I plenty of people look at you and I and go, gosh, how do they on any level reconcile those two things they said? That makes no sense. You know, I'm sure yeah. that happens, yeah. you know? And so we all yeah. do that on some level. And even if it does make sense, on some massive objective scale, if there is one, right. to someone, they're looking at it going, that makes no sense to me. I don't get it. And Right. And just knows? like how I appreciate people who give me that grace, I want to pass it on other people, right? Like, I know I have friends who think I'm a little crazy or, you know, things don't make sense, but they they, they accept me. And so it's my job to pass it along to others. So. Absolutely. Um, but Phil, listen, I really appreciate you taking up the time. I, I feel like we really could have taken any of these topics and just done a head first deep dive into them. So maybe I'll have you back on the show in the future to go a little sure. bit deeper, but thank you for coming on. Um, why don't you plug what, you know, where, where can we find you? How can we support you? Give us everything that, that you got. Go for it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do have a podcast where we talk about these kind of things. I, I have people on that are deconstructing or experts on this topic. Um, so it's just a Phil Drysdale show. Um, the deconstruction network is where we do our research and we put out research on that, but it's also a place if you're going through deconstruction, if you're in that lonely and isolating process, mm. the deconstruction network.com is free resource. You can join it and basically it sticks you on a map. You can search in your area. You can find other people and message them. And so you'll find that oh, in great. most cities, there's 
a few people that are going through this process that you can go, oh my gosh, you, you kind of get it. You Maybe we've got slightly different views now and, you know, or whatever, but you get it. You understand what it is to leave this kind of world or way of seeing things. And that can make a huge difference. No matter where the person's landed, just someone that gets what you're going through. And so totally. that's a great resource. If you're if you're feeling alone or isolated in this process, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. My Instagram is where I connect with most people. It's just Phil Drysdale. I spend most of my days chatting with people and helping them one-on-one. Everything I do is free. So like, you know, don't feel feel like, oh, I shouldn't talk to him or maybe he's going to try and sell something to me or anything like that. It's, it, everything I do is um, for free. And so, yeah. Awesome. Very, very awesome. Well, Phil, again, thanks for taking time. Thanks for coming on and wish you the best. And I'm looking forward to maybe one day having this conversation again in a couple of years. We can see what we've gained and what, what we've lost. There we go. We can <laughs> laugh at our prior selves and go, what yes. were we talking about? <laughs> Idiots. Yeah. I love it. Thanks so much. 